the summer of 2019 in our Spanish service a man came he introduced himself to us he was a pastor from Nicaragua that happened to be here in Everett visiting his daughter and he asked us if he could pray for us so when he was praying he did a pause and says that said the Lord that next year you're gonna have a baby boy and it's gonna be my servant and you're gonna name him Noah uh, next year guess what my wife got pregnant she started feeling a little bit sick uh, she went to a medical appointment the doctor says that she didn't look uh, anything wrong with her beside her heartbeat a few days later my wife health uh, got worsened uh, she went to the urgent uh, clinic and she, they did the test on her and it got positive on COVID-19. Immediately she was transferred to an uh, intensive care unit and the next 72 hours uh, things weren't from bad to worse. Her oxygen levels were very low. In the evening I was by myself and when I called her uh, I received a news that shook my entire being. Uh, the doctors have told my wife that if the oxygen levels kept dropping, uh, they will have to do a C-section on her to get the baby out uh, and intubate her. At that moment, I just fell on my knees by, my, by the side of my bed and started crying out to God. When, when I was praying, I heard the voice of God in my mind, and he asked me, do you think I lie? And I say, no, Lord. And then he say, I promised you last year, a baby boy, that he was gonna serve me. You will, you will name him Noah. At that moment, I felt in my heart uh, indescribable peace. Uh, all the worries disappeared, and I kept crying, but now the tears were of joy. At that moment, I text my wife and I say, don't worry, everything is gonna be fine. God just told me. Things start uh, getting better with her. On Thursday, her oxygen level started raising up. On Friday, the oxygen levels were normal. Saturday, they turned off uh, completely the oxygen. They discharged her. That's why every time I see my son, I don't just see a little baby. I just see God's faithfulness turning to reality. Yeah, I think I'm on. Well, this guy might look familiar. I think we just seen him up there on video, right? I am Pastor Greg Schaffnitz. I'm the group's pastor, and I get the honor and blessing to be able to work with this man. He has a true heart for God. Uh, the Hispanic community that we have that's part of North Shore, their services are in Sunday afternoon at 2 o'clock. And trust me, if you guys ever want to go see a great one and be able to understand Spanish, that would be a place for you to be able to go. But he is, has a great, great heart. Love, love. When it talks about somebody making ministry easy... That's Herbert. Herbert makes my job easy by how much he loves his people. 
and how much he loves North Shore and he loves God. Well, I get the pleasure of being able to dedicate Ethan Noah Villalobos. And something that comes to mind, I'm going to put this down here, is Deuteronomy 6. 6.4, and it says, Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the God, Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. These words I, give, I am giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Well, I got a couple questions for Herbert and Yachty. Uh, and uh, one of the things is that you guys are, hopefully you'll be able to commit to being examples for Ethan, and I know that you do. So as I ask you the questions, will you please say, we do. Do you uh, intend, plan to intentionally model what it's like to have a loving, authentic relationship with Jesus Christ with all your heart, mind, and soul? We do. Will you prioritize your marriage to, be, to create a safe spot so that you can exemplify, you can model the gospel of Jesus Christ? We do. We do. <laughs> Are you committed to teaching him the ways of God, God's word, and God's commandments? We do. Okay, we only got one more, okay? Are you committed to parenting in humility, grace, and love? With a, depending upon the Holy Spirit. We, we know, I am a parent. I know that I make mistakes, right? But being humble enough to ask for forgiveness, knowing what our limitations are, and being able to ask for help and support. We do. Well, guess what? It's not only up to them, but we get to have our part as a church family also, right? So I'm gonna ask you guys to also give them a commitment, Right? Are you guys willing to walk with them through the highs and lows? Awesome. Are you willing to encourage them and give them biblical advice when they ask for it? Are you going to be a soft place for them to land in times of need? Okay. Are you willing to model what it looks like to to look like Jesus Christ? to love God with all your heart and soul, and to love others, to be a place that welcomes others, brand new Christians, brand new unbelievers into our fold. Awesome, awesome. Well, let's go ahead and pray, okay? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you that I get the privilege that I get to pray for Ethan, for the protection of their family. Yeah, for the protection of your family for guidance from the Holy Spirit as they lead their family, you know, through whatever trials and tribulations that's put before them. And as a church, that we will be a loving home for them, uh, for spiritual growth, for just the needs that they need on a daily basis. And on behalf of their parents, with the church commitment to support, I dedicate the father, Ethan, and the mom. Amen.
Amen. Oh my goodness, such good stuff. I am just so excited about what God is doing truly uh, in and through our church. The if gathering, oh my goodness. I mean, I, I have heard so many good things about God working and uh, many women meaning also marriages and kids and grandkids and families and friends and workplaces being changed, our communities, you could say, being changed, right? Jesus doing that work. Debbie, good job. So proud of you. Uh, Just great work in in being used by God and and pulling that together and uh, just fantastic, just so cool. Uh, This is a family church. We are about families, but we are a family. And so just that celebration right now of of one of our families and ministers um, and ministeresses, right? You guys are a team effort and uh, just acknowledging the family and the parents dedicating their child unto the Lord and the participation of us in that as well. It's serious, We need each other. We do this together by God's design. Just beautiful things. And those testimonies on video before each message, have those not been rich? Jackson, good job. Those things are phenomenal. Just the works of God through those testimonies. So cool. Well, I'm gonna start this message by sharing a testimony. Uh, It's not mine, it's about a lady I know. A woman, a mom, she grew up in uh, Southern California. She grew up on the beach, uh, snorkeling and scuba diving. She served as a lifeguard and uh, put herself through college down in Southern California. She knew of God. She was a part of the church and she knew of God. But then at, when she was 20, she left the church because uh, a, a central figure in her life, her grandpa, had passed away. And by suffering that loss, he was, he was a mountain of a man and his faith was strong. And when she suffered that loss, she left the church out of hurt and pain and disappointment. And so she left. She found herself at 23 married and, uh, and pregnant. And in one day, she lost her husband and her baby in a horrible accident. And it was in that that Christ reached out to her. And she had an experience with him, but then went her own way for a number of years, following him, seeking after him, but in her own way. And she found herself in a Unitarian Universalist church. She sought out spiritualism through New Age, the New Age movement. She got sucked into Christian science, which isn't Christian or science. And and then she found herself years later in a Christian church, a Bible-believing, Jesus-loving church. And she was in church. And she found herself married again and with three kids, uh, under the age of five, two girls, one boy. And she was even serving as a secretary of the church. She was very involved within church. Well, she became ill. And uh, in this illness, she sought out professional help and she had some medication that she had a reaction to and it actually induced a heart attack. 
She's a stay-at-home mom, husband's at work, providing for the family. She has three little ones. She survives the heart attack, but she's laid up on the couch for months as she has three little ones running wild. For four months, this took place. Well, she happened to read James 5 in the Bible. And it says, if anyone's sick, you are to call upon the elders and let them anoint you with oil and pray for you so that you may be saved. And so she does that. She calls her church. She sets up an appointment. And they're like, uh, we haven't really done that. We don't really do that. And so, but let's figure it out. So they awkwardly do it. And it was in that experience that she believed God told her, I'm going to heal you. Well, a month later, he still hadn't. And she's on the couch, little kids running around, right? And she's praying, God, heal me. Good prayer, right? I'd be praying that too, right? And she lingered in that prayer. She did the talking and then she was silent giving God room to answer. And it was in that, he gently whispered, you've never asked me to be your Lord and Savior. And you've been taking communion, and we don't have communion. And she said, I, I could have missed it. I could have missed it. It was so gentle. It was so subtle. I could have just been busy with my day or sat in my pain and I could have missed it. But then I responded and I repented and said, oh my goodness, I'm so sorry and please forgive me. Yes, I need you. Yes, please forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior. And she repented. And it was in that that she felt her heart be made new, spiritually and physically, healed. And she got up and she ran around the house and she praised God. I want to introduce you to this lady. Her name is Vaughn and she is my mom. <laughs> She's online right now watching us uh, back in Coeur d'Alene. And I thank her that she uh, gave me permission to share her story in such an honest way as well. But she says... I knew of God, I was familiar with God, yet I was so far from God. And the story we're talking about today is that. Luke 17, if you wanna turn there, go there on your phones. Luke 17, verse 11. It's the story about the 10 lepers and Jesus healing the 10 lepers. And uh, we are continuing on in our series called Faces in the Crowd. We're following Jesus around. We're following Jesus around, wanting to learn from him. He has all sorts of interactions with all sorts of diverse people and situations, and we're wanting to learn from Jesus. We want to see our communities change through hope in Jesus, one person at a time. And how we start doing that as North Shore Christian Church is by our passionate pursuit of Jesus. That's where it starts. Everything that we do comes and flows from that. And so that's really the heart of the series is we're following Jesus around wanting to learn from him. And so here we are in this story, a story of 10 and this distinguishing that takes place. And, uh, and so let me take a moment to pray and then I'm gonna read the passage. 
Heavenly Father, we love you. Jesus Christ, thank you for your example, your life, your heart. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, thank you for being with us, leading us, guiding us into all truth. God, thank you for your written word. Pray you would have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 17, verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he, Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lift up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the crowd story. Context is key. Context is key. Okay, and in understanding this story and unpacking it, there's some important contextual things that are important for us to be able to grasp, to be able to grasp the depth of the story. Otherwise, you have Jesus going to one place and he goes between some other places and he meets some sick guys and he tells them, go away from me and go to these other people. And they do that. And then they're healed and one guy comes back and he thanks God. God and then Jesus is upset about some things and then and then he says go it worked the context is key okay there's a few things contextually there's Jerusalem there is Samaria there's lepers and there's law that I want to highlight here Jerusalem it starts out and it says on the way to Jerusalem now, this is not by accident, and he's not just going to Jerusalem. It says in Luke 9 that Jesus set out for Jerusalem as the time approached for him to go back to heaven. He resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He lived his life as an example for us to follow in fulfilling God's heart and law. And then he was set out to Jerusalem because it meant the cross. Jerusalem cross. Jesus was going to Jerusalem to take on the world's sins and pay for us completely to fulfill us being reconciled with God and establishing the new covenant by shedding his life, blood, and dying for us and taking care of our greatest problem, greatest problem, Satan, sin, and death, resolving that so that we could have what Pastor Scott talked about last week, new life and life to the full. So Jesus is on this mission and he's going to Jerusalem. He has this in view of this is where I'm headed for this purpose. 
and then he goes between Samaria and Galilee. Samaria is where Samaritans live. And there's a few things that are important to know about Samaritans. They are half Jewish and half Gentile. Gentile meaning non-Jewish. So they're half Jewish, half non-Jewish, and they are despised by Jews. They are disdained and they are shunned. They are a curse word to Jews. Actually, some Pharisees called Jesus that derogatory curse word. They called Jesus that. Oh, well, you're a Samaritan. It was meant to be offensive. Interestingly enough, Jesus paints a Samaritan as a hero in one particular story. And he says, this is the guy that fulfilled the law to the shame of the ones that were familiar with God, the Levite and the priest in the, in the good Samaritan story. The Samaritan was the hero. The Samaritan was the example to their shame. And so the Samaritan is an interesting piece and an important piece of this story. And again in this story, the Samaritan is the example. The Samaritan exemplifies something amazing and beautiful that God values. And uh, all the commentaries, dozens of commentaries that I've read, they all say the same thing. They agree and believe that there were 10 and nine of them were Jewish. Because of the emphasis that took place on the one foreigner. Is there only one foreigner and he happens to be a Samaritan? It's understood by those smarter, far smarter than me, that the others were Jewish. So that's an important piece of it, okay? So you have the Jerusalem piece, you have the Samaria piece, you have the leprosy piece. Here's a picture of a man with leprosy today. And this is, I took it easy on you guys. This is a soft, soft picture. It gets far worse than this. We know leprosy uh, is a infectious disease and we know all about infectious diseases these days, don't we? Oh, Lord Jesus. Yes, we do. This is an infectious skin disease and it breaks down the nerves where you literally can't feel the deterioration of your flesh and your muscles and it destroys and mangles bodies and faces. And what it did then, still some now, but what it did then was it also separated and isolated. It often meant a life sentence of social distance. No joke. We're familiar with social distancing. It was a life sentence of social distance. And I've seen different numbers and different figures. I've seen they had to stay, no joke, six feet away from their family members for life. Could you imagine? And then I've also seen numbers as far as 100 paces, which would be 400 feet. And you have to claim, I'm clean, I'm unclean, I'm unclean, okay? So that's the leprosy piece. Now in the Bible, there's some significance about leprosy and what it, exempl uh, what it is compared to, and it's compared to sin, and it acts like sin. Sin infects, and sin always leads to sin, meaning it's, it spreads, right? Sin always leads to sin, and it destroys 
and it also separates. So there's this pepper, uh, uh, likeness to leprosy and sin in how it handles the body and relationships. So that's another piece of this. And we notice Jesus is not afraid. He handles the worst case scenarios and the furthest off people. Remember Sanjay's message about the uh, man who is demon-possessed in Gerasenes? Legions, right? Worst case scenario, no hope for him, far off. It's the same case with leprosy. Worst case scenarios, Jesus ministers to them. Love that. So you have Jerusalem, Samaria, leprosy, and then the law. The law. Jesus says they come, hey, have mercy on us. And Jesus says, go. Go and do this. Because of the Levitical law. In Leviticus 13, 14, there are prescriptions about how one is to go about once they are healed, that they're to go back to the priests. And the priests were the judges to go, yeah, you're good. You can resume normal communion in community. You can resume work and normal life and interactions and worship. It meant you had your life back. And so Jesus says, go and show was, check this out. I have a disease. Jesus, please have mercy on me. He says, I know you have a disease, but I want you to walk away and go to them as if you're healed. And all 10 do. That's awesome. And I am cautioned by Peggy Gray, one on our teaching team and highly respected here. Don't be too hard on the nine. And I appreciate that check. Because they acted in faith and they all received healing too. They trusted Jesus and Jesus' words and they received. Right? But we are going to pick on the nine. Okay? And I'll tell you why. Because if you, if you stop at this story at certain verses, you get a very different story. And you're like, duh. Like that, that'd be the case anywhere. Right? But just check this out. Okay? If you go verse 11 through 14, what you have is Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. He goes between uh, Samaria and Galilee. He meets some sick people, lepers. They cry out, have mercy. He says, go, show yourselves to the priests, fulfilling Levitical law. As they go, they get healed. End of story. The story would be Jesus heals, even lepers, okay? Or if you take that story, you add the next couple verses, verse 15 and 16, you have the story I just told you, plus one guy that's really good at coming back and being appreciative and expressing it really well. Gratitude and praise to God at Jesus' feet. It is a beautiful story. And so if the story ended there, we would have that story. Jesus heals and one is really good at expressing how appreciative he is. But that's not where it goes. Where it goes emphasizes the point of the story. And so it's important to draw from verse 17 and 18, which read, Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? He asks a question. Where are the nine? He asks a second question. 
was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? He asks a third question and all of them are negative. So you have this story, Jesus heals. You have this, another piece of one's really good at expressing his gratitude and praise and thanksgiving. And then you have Jesus disappointed. I know it's a strong statement and I had to kind of wrestle with it too. Does it really like that? And that's what I see. Jesus is disappointed. And so there is a distinguishment that takes place here that Jesus himself does from the nine and the one. And so that's where we're gonna go. From the nine and the one. The nine, skin deep. The nine, skin deep. Certainly they had a skin disease, right? And it was surface level, right? It was skin deep. But there seems to be more that was affecting them than just their skin and the skin problem that they were dealing with. It seems like, perhaps, that they had heart disease too. Skin disease and heart disease. Did they really have skin disease and heart disease? Now, there's a lot of complexities around heart disease. It manifests itself in many, many ways. But at the end of the day, heart disease, the result of it or the, or the reason for it is there is a, a lack of heart response. The heart is not responding the way it is designed to respond. And it seems to be the case with them because they, as all commentaries believe, or most that I know of, believe they were familiar with God. They were Jewish. They were familiar with God, yet they were the furthest from God. They were the most familiar with God, but there was a lack of heart response to God. And I think there's something to draw from here. I think there's a real danger here for those of us that are familiar with God. Are you familiar with God? Are you familiar with church and church life and church culture, church words? You familiar with Christianity? If so, you're in danger. You truly are in danger. You're in danger of lacking crucial heart response to your God. Think of my mom. My mom's story is that. Familiar with God, but lacking a heart response to God. And this it makes me cringe inside. It really does. Because I know it's true for me. And I have to be honest. I've been a Christian for 21 years. I actually grew up in the church, walked away from the church, and then came to Jesus, a true faith in Jesus, in 21 years. And I've been a pastor for 13 of those 21 years. And so I'm pretty familiar with church and God and Christianity and Jesus and I found myself falling into these ruts. And I was, 
appropriately confronted by a good friend and brother recently, this last week. We had some great conversation, great dialogue, and he was asking about your intimacy with God. He said, no, you're you know, good leader and good at these things and all this stuff, but tell me about your intimacy and connection and closeness with God. And uh, there's a long story there, but it's been a painful, it's a painful story. And so where conversation went was, yeah, I think there's some attention you need to give to that. And I knew as soon as those words came out of his mouth, I knew, you're right. There is some attention I am needing to correct course here. I am familiar and it's costing me how I'm going about it. And then the next day, God brought up a verse that he had brought up a couple years ago. And it's actually, uh, it's kind of a dangerous one. And it's uh, Revelation 2, and it's about uh, the letter to the Ephesus church. And he says, I see your works and your toils. And that's not a bad thing. I see your efforts for me and how you endure for my name's sake. And you do not grow weary for me. However, I have this against you. You have forgotten your first love. And then he gives some commands. He doesn't stop there. He gives some commands. See where you got off. Repent. And do the works that you did at first. And I'm just like, oh man. I'm just, uh, that's what I am. I'm familiar, but I find myself far at times. And anytime we do anything repetitively within the faith and with God, we're in danger. And then you stack years on that, right? We're in danger of, of losing that crucial heart response to God. And so I know, you know, I have this question here and I have to ask myself this is, is Jesus disappointed in your lack of heart response to him? And I very carefully ask that hard question in grace I mean it I ask that hard question I we have to guard against the enemy and how he uses shame to beat us up into corners and how we can condemn ourselves okay and I'm I am I fight against that and I fight against that for you to fight against that as well but we see that Jesus is not happy with the nine with 90% of this group, and not this, okay, but right here. And there was a disappointment that takes place. And so I ask you, is Jesus disappointed with a lack of heart response to you, for you to him? We also see and wonder, right, as we interpret what Jesus did with the nine versus the one. And it's possible, you know, they were obedient to what God said and then they went on. And so maybe, perhaps, maybe they appreciated Jesus from a distance. You know, they're going on their way. All right, we're healed, we're better, we're good, and we get to go on with what we want to do, right? I've been dreaming for this day, right? To be able to go back and do this and do this and eat this and go here and be 
whatever. Thank you, Jesus, from a distance. Love you. We're good. Appreciate you. Thank you for what you did. Now I can go and do my thing. Maybe they appreciated Jesus from a distance. Or maybe they appreciated Jesus from their convenience. Oh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. You know, yeah, I'll, I'll come around, right? I'll get back to it. I'll, I'll come back to you. This is, this is about me now. Right now is about me now. I get to do what I want to do now. This is the season of life that's about me now. Maybe they did. Maybe they appreciated Jesus from a convenience. It seems that the nine only responded to the depth of their change, which seemed only skin deep. And then there was a one. Then there was a one. And with the one, there was true transformation. There was true transformation. See a few things here. There was the heart. There was the heart. And he allowed it to sink deep within his heart. And as you can tell from that image, there is a level of pain involved there, right? That's how I felt this last week. Oh, God, you're right. Ugh. You're right, Lord. He allowed something to sink deeper than the other ones did. It was beyond skin for him. It was heart level. God, I don't deserve this and you are good. God, you showed me mercy and I did not deserve it. God, thank you. And he came back and he processed something to the degree of going, this is the most important thing right now that I come back and give you the praise. And he took the time. He took the time to go. We see this heart level response. We see time. The nine were obedient and compliant. Notice that. To their detriment. They were, to, to Jesus' standards, too obedient and too compliant. Interestingly enough, and I gently, fr fragilely, is that a way to say it? Say that. But there's something here. Jesus said, do this. They went and did this. Jesus is looking at that and going, they missed something. He is not going to prescribe every single step that you're supposed to do. Notice that he celebrated the one and the one did not do exactly what Jesus told him to do. But he responded, heart level, stopped and went beyond compliance. And God was in that in a powerful way. And you see it, it's evident in his life. The heart response, the time he took to give back to God, which is that last piece, these hands, this giving. He gave to God what God was deserving of. He gave to God what God deserved. He did not respond in a way of, finally, I got what I deserved. Justice has been served, and I'm finally healthy. Finally, I get 
what I should have had years ago out of this embittered state? No, out of humility he came back and he gave to God what God was deserving of, full praise and adoration and credit. God, this was you. God, this was you. I know this wasn't me. This was you. And I thank you for what you gave me mercifully, graciously. So the nine, it seems that they responded to the depth in which they were changed, which seems skin deep. But the one, the one responded with his heart and he took the time to give to God what was God's. And he was the one that experienced true transformation. Amen? We're gonna bring it home right now. And we're gonna take some time in prayer over just a few questions and a few thoughts from this story, from the one and from the nine. And we're just gonna kinda sit in some of these here. And I want you to, so if you need to close your eyes, you're at home, you close your eyes and think on this. This is meant to be a prayer right now for you to pray to your God and talk with your God about this word of God, word from God, words he's speaking to you. What truths, thinking about the one and the heart depth, what truths do you need to sit in and not hurry on from? We saw the nine, they received and they hurried on to normal life. And there was one that allowed something to sink deep, deeper, And he didn't just hurry on from to normal business life. What truths right now is God exposing, is God revealing, as you look back at this last week, as you look back at these last couple days, as you look back at your relationships, conversations, conflicts, encouragement, successes, affirmations, Don't just hurry on. What has God been doing in your circumstances of life? God is always at work, is what Jesus' words were. My Father is always at work, and I too am always working. The Spirit of God is called, uh, he, he leads us into all truth. God's always working. What truths do you need to sit in and not hurry on from? The next one is from the one, and we see him stop and go. 
he stopped right in his tracks and he went. Is there something that the Spirit of God is prompting you to do that you are needing to simply act in faith, in dependency on God. You don't know how it's going to work. You, it's, you know it's going to be uncomfortable. You know it's going to stretch you. That's okay. It's all good. That's all a part of faith, normal faith life, dependency on the Spirit. He wants you to act in obedience, act in faith. Is there something you are to stop and go do? Go do, go back to, not overthink or else you'll talk yourself out of it. Maybe not even talk to anyone else or seek wise counsel, quote unquote. But to simply be obedient to what God is prompting you to do, stop and go. Lastly, one time or a lifetime? One time or a lifetime. Do you think Jesus just wanted the one or maybe even all 10 to just come back one time? Oh, he praised God really well this one time. But then now he can go and be about all of his own business. Or is it rather a lifetime of praising God and giving God what God deserves and all that that means comprehensively giving God what God deserves one time or a lifetime I would say a lifetime and I would bank that off of Romans 12 and Hebrews 12 28 Romans 12.1 says that we are to live our lives as living sacrifices unto the Lord. And that is a pleasing spiritual act of worship. One time or a lifetime. Maybe you did something really awesome and beautiful and wonderful for the Lord a long time ago. And maybe he's wanting more. More in corporate worship here. More in giving. More of your time for me. <laughs> more of my heart. In that intimate, intimate pursuit. What is he calling you to give to him that he is deserving of? And lastly, I'm just going to finish with this. If you don't know Jesus, if you are maybe appreciating him from a distance, or maybe you are familiar with God, but you don't know God, it's not an accident that you're here. God is calling you, God is calling you to him. 
Maybe you need to renew your commitment to him and that life lived out before him. God is in that and he is calling you to himself. Will you respond? Will you follow? He meets the worst of us and the worst of our sin and our brokenness and he graciously, compassionately calls us to himself. He says, I know, I know and I love you and I will help you and you don't have to clean yourself up. That's not how it works. You come to me and I will help you. But you gotta be about me. There can only be one on the throne. Is he calling you? If so, respond.